bit of it. We've been looking at where Jesus walks. Jesus walks, of course, in the unpleasant places. Last time we looked at Jesus walked in the saddest places. Jesus walks in our home with the big days and the little days. Now, if we're going to look through a list of places where Jesus walked in the Bible, we cannot ignore this passage of Scripture. If we look where Jesus walks, this has got to be right there in it. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Would you stand as the Scripture's read, please? Now, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? They got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for showing us where Jesus walked. We thank you for teaching us about Jesus and about ourselves. We need to hear these things this morning, and we ask that they would make their way into our hearts. You'd remind us of these things when we need them the most. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus walks in unexpected places. Jesus walks in unexpected places. There's not a person in that boat that expected Jesus to walk where he walked that day. Now, we look at this past description, we would say, well, I suppose there is nowhere Jesus wouldn't walk. But there is. And we start by looking at the one place where Jesus wouldn't walk. If you read, it says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, where the King James Version says to constrain. He constrained them to get into the boat. He didn't just instruct them to get into the boat. He constrained them. The word constrained or made in the original Greek means to insist or to force by authority. Jesus had to order them to get into the boat and insist that they get into the boat. That implies there was some resistance. He wouldn't have to constrain them if there was no resistance in the first instruction. Why would he constrain them to get into the boat? Well, you get the full picture of this event if you look in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6. Now, John tells us in his gospel in chapter 6, verse 14, now this is before the event. 
it follows up with Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Thousands of people were fed. Everyone knew that it was miraculous. Nobody had a reasonable explanation for this and could try to explain it away. They accepted the fact Jesus did this. In verse 14, those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Surely this is the prophet that has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. They were going to take him by force and make him king. Where'd they get this idea of a king? Well, when Jesus started preaching in Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 17, it says, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he, of course, gave us the model prayer, he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, the Jewish people love this idea about a kingdom. They love this idea about a new king, a Jewish king. They were so tired of Herod and Pilate and Caesar and the constraints that they were putting on the people, they just knew that the Messiah, as had been promised, would come. And he would come, and he would be a political king. And they said, this is the man. This is the one they've been telling us about. Jesus knew they would come and force him to be king of Israel. And that's it. They wanted to make him a political king. You might say, well, what was wrong with that? Jewish people finally accepting. The political throne would bypass the cross. That's the problem with that. If you remember when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness before his earthly ministry, right after the baptism, the last temptations, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. You might say, could Satan do that? Well, those kingdoms were under his dominion. They were his to give. And he said, worship me, and I'll give you everything. I'll give you all these kingdoms, a political kingdom. These people are going to take him by force and make a political kingdom. That would bypass the cross. And if Jesus bypassed the cross, we would still be lost. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. He said, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem must go to Jerusalem, must be arrested, must suffer things, must be crucified, and must raise a third day. Well, when Peter heard that, if you remember, he said, Jesus, say it isn't so. These things will not happen. The disciples wanted none of the cross. They did like the idea of a political kingdom. So Jesus would not walk to that throne. That's the one place he wouldn't walk. He would not walk to a political throne. He had something better in mind, not just for Israel, but of all eternity. So he had to constrain the disciples to get into the boat. In this passage, might be quite unexpected, but if you look real close, we have an example of dedicated obedience to Jesus. In verse 24, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves. The wind was contrary. So that tells us what they do. They got into the boat. They got into the boat, and they started to the other side. Despite the fact that it was getting nighttime, 
despite the fact that the crowds were wanting to make him king, despite the fact that they were about to be away from Jesus, and I'm sure they didn't like that idea of going by themselves across the lake in the middle of the night. The disciples did that. They did what Jesus asked them to do, even though they would rather be doing something else. In Mark chapter 6, in this past description, the same event, verse 48, it says, Jesus saw them straining at rowing in the middle of the night. Toiling at rowing, I believe is what the King James says. Now here it was in the middle of the night. Have to understand what the timing is here. Scholars say, of course, it was getting evening. He fed the crowd. He sent them away. The disciples would have started somewhere close to about 9 o'clock in the evening. About 9 o'clock in the evening. This was supposed to be a one to two hour trip across the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Just cutting off the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Should about a, a, a two hour trip at the most. Jesus comes to them at the fourth watch of the night. You know when the fourth watch of the night is? Between 3 and 6 a.m. Between 3 and 6 a.m. Over six hours later, they're still rowing away. They're still straining and toiling. And it says, the wind was contrary. You know what that means? They were rowing against the wind. The wind was blowing against them. And the storm had come up. And they were still rowing despite the slow process. Why would they do that? Because Jesus said, you go to the other side. Now they could have took a shortcut. They were rowing across the north end of the lake. They could have just let the wind drive them up. Go to a beach somewhere and ride it out. That's not what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, go to the other side. They spent all night trying to do what Jesus asked them to do. So here they are, rowing away through the dark, through the storm, and then they get the unexpected visitor. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now I don't know if you've read any of the academic pundits that tried to explain this away, and their explanation is this. First of all, they didn't see Jesus walking on the water. They saw Jesus walking by the water. Well, the book of Matthew says they were in the middle of the sea. John's gospel says they were three or four miles out. So we realize they wouldn't have seen Jesus on the shore. And besides this, these guys knew the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. Five of them, seven of them were fishermen. Seven of them fished those same waters. They knew where they were. They knew the terrain. And remember, it was a storm, and it was dark. And they could not have been close enough to the shore. They might say, well, there was a sandbar out there, and Jesus, he's pretty clever, saw that sandbar. He was walking across that sandbar. Well, you have to do your homework here. In the 21st chapter of the book of John, they're in the boat, the same boat. And it says they see Jesus on the shore. Didn't know it was them, but, but they finally found out it was Jesus on the shore. And they couldn't row that boat to the shore. They had to come in a smaller boat. 
Why is that? That boat had a deeper draft. If Jesus was walking on a sandbar, then there was no way the boat could have been close enough for them to see him because it would have grounded on the sand. You see, you understand the Bible by reading the Bible. But the, the fact is, there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus did something we can't do. And somehow, someway, they want to explain away the miracles. I can't imagine somebody that finds it uncomfortable to know that our Savior is a miracle worker. I'm comfortable with that fact. And I'm comfortable with the fact that he walked on water. People find it uncomfortable because we finally have to come to the realization he's God and we're not. And sooner or later, humanity must come to grips with that. And through the centuries, through the millennia, humanity has fought with that and will continue to fight with that and continue to struggle against that and even spend their lives fighting against somebody they say never existed. Well, if he doesn't exist, why do they continue to fight? See, I'm comfortable with the fact that the unexpected visitor could walk on water. Their fear was not while they were rowing. Because we might say, man, they're out there in the middle of the sea and they're petrified. Doesn't say they're petrified. Doesn't say they're scared while they're rowing. They're busy doing what Jesus told them to do. Their fear only came when they saw what they didn't understand. You see, they had seen the 5,000 fed just moments before. They had seen at least seven healings. They knew who they were dealing with. They had heard the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, God can take care of you. They're out there in the middle of the sea. They're not afraid while they're rowing. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says their fear is they didn't recognize Jesus through the darkness. Didn't recognize him. And they thought he was a ghost. Now, there's two words for ghost in the, in the Hebrew and in the Greek language. One is an a disembodied spirit, you know, somebody else's ghost. It's not what this verse says. The word that is used is an apparition or just a vision. They, they didn't know what it was. And they didn't understand it. So they cried out for fear because they saw something coming to them and they didn't recognize the face of Jesus because it was too far and it was too dark. But they saw something. That's when their fear came. And then Peter shows us how it's done. We read the passage and, of course, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, we, we scold Peter a lot of times because we say, well, obviously he didn't have a lot of faith of who Jesus is. He didn't really believe Jesus than a God because if it's, if it's really you, let me come to you on the water. Oh, he wasn't worried about the person or the ability of Jesus. He was worried about who that was out there. And he surely didn't go want to walk on water through the storm to somebody he didn't know. I mean, it's bad enough to walk on water, but when you get there and it's somebody you didn't expect, that's not going to be good. So he wanted to be sure it was Jesus. So he said, I know it's Jesus. 
if he'll tell me to do something. He said, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, well, come. Come on out. And Peter did it. It says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, when I was going to title this sermon, I first wanted to entitle it, Jesus Walks Through the Impossible Places. Then I realized, this is not impossible. Peter did it. It's not an impossible place. At the command of Jesus, Peter did that. Now, we talk about his motives. And I don't know if you read many commentaries and, and, and of course, some biographies of, of Peter. They said, that, oh, he's just impulsive. He thought that was a, a clever thing to do, and he wanted to run out there and do what Jesus was doing. Peter just, he lets his mouth get ahead of his brain, and he just jumped out of the boat. Not so fast. Perhaps he'd spent enough time with Jesus to know that it's a lot safer to walk with Jesus in the storm than to ride it out in the boat. He knew that being as close to Jesus as possible was the best place he could be rather than stay in the boat. And he did it. It says he walked on the water. Did you catch that? He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, we don't know how far he went, but it says when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You know the application. We've made this application for years. Long as he was looking for Jesus, at Jesus, he walked on the water. But he saw something else. He saw the wind. The same wind that was blowing when he got out of the boat. The same wind that was blowing when he made his first few steps. He had already done it. But he began to look around. He let fear and worry take over. Then he started to sink. He'd already done it. The danger was no more real than when he had walked on the water, but it was up here. He began to look around at his surroundings instead of at his Savior. Then G, uh, Peter, right there at that time, he gives us the Sea of Galilee seminar on effective prayer right there. And here's the Sea of Galilee seminar on effective prayer. Get to the point and do it quick. He didn't use a lot of words. He said this, Lord, save me. And when did he do it? Not when he had sunk, but he did it when he was beginning to sink. Not when he had sunk, but just when he was beginning to sink. He got to the point. And he said, Lord, save me. And then Jesus takes hold, but he didn't scold. Now we read this. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Of course, the, the King James sounds even more authoritative. Oh, you of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And it sounds like Jesus making a proclamation. We don't know the facial expression of Jesus, but I'd rather look at it this way. He grabs him by the hand. He says, what are you worried about? I've got you. I've got you. 
Why did you ever fear? I've got you, Peter. You see, that's a lesson for us. Why are you panicking? I've got you. And then, watch this. Peter walks on the water back into the boat. We only look at those first steps and say, Peter blew it. After Jesus lifted him up, both of them walk into the boat together. Boy, that was a good walk. That was a lot better walk than he was walking by himself. So what are the lessons here? What are the lessons? Very familiar passage of Scripture. We all learn this from the earliest days of Bible school. Number one, at times, obeying Jesus will involve extraordinary effort over a long period of time. They obeyed Jesus and got into the boat, and it was not smooth sailing, literally. It involved hours and hours of hard work. And watch this, listen, with very little success. It should have taken them two hours to get there. After over six hours, they're not even part of the way there. They've still got a long way to go. Sometimes that's the way it is working for Jesus. You work and you work and you work and you don't get a lot of efforts. Now, this is true with pastors, youth workers, Bible school workers, Sunday school teachers. Sometimes we don't see a lot of results of our efforts. We want to say, well, what's the use? I just will quit. What, what's the use? They could have taken the easy way out and just drifted up. They kept on rowing. And they kept on rowing. And despite the fact they didn't have results, that didn't matter. They weren't looking at their success. They were still remembering. Jesus said, row to the other side. We're going to do it. Jesus said to preach the gospel. Jesus said to teach our young people. Jesus said to, to work in his kingdom through the ministry of the church. And there's work and work and work. And sometimes it looks like everything's going well. And sometimes it looks like we're just not making any headway. We're rowing against the wind. What do you do? Keep on rowing. Keep on rowing. Obeying Jesus sometimes takes a lot of work over a long period of time. Secondly, Jesus sees our struggle even when we can't see him. The book of Mark tells us Jesus saw them toiling and rowing. You think they were looking toward Jesus? Jesus up there on the mountain, they're wanting to get to the other side of the lake. They're looking there to see where they're going. They're looking the other way because they have to. They are so busy trying to keep their head above water, literally. They're not looking toward Jesus. And even if they were, through the wind and the rain and the dark, they couldn't see him. But he saw them. Look, sometimes you can't see Jesus because of your circumstances. Sometimes you can't see Jesus because of your tears. Sometimes you can't see Jesus because you're not looking at him because you don't want to look at him. Let me tell you this. Even if you're not looking at Jesus, his eyes on you. And he's watching you and he sees every struggle. He sees what you're going through. 
Someone said it this way, there is no darkness so great that he can't find us. And there's no storm so big that he can't come to us. Jesus sees your struggle. Thirdly, at times, walking with Jesus and standing for what is right will involve walking through a storm rather than staying in a comfortable boat of convenience. You see, Peter wanted to get to Jesus. Peter wanted to walk with Jesus. Walking with Jesus meant walking in a storm. When we walk with Jesus and insist on standing for Jesus, there might be a storm. So I don't understand what you're talking about. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. Remember, this is the same man who walked through the storm to get to Jesus and walked in the storm arm in arm with Jesus. He knows what he's talking about. Talks about a different kind of storm here. Chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 3. We have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, listen close, they think it strange that you do not run with them to the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. You're going to walk with Jesus. You're going to make some decisions to be a Christian. Now some of the people around you stir up a storm. They speak evil of you. Now you all of a sudden you're walking in a storm. They're calling you names. They're calling you judgmental. They're calling you holier than thou. They're telling you that you're, you're outdated. That you're old-fashioned. That you're narrow-minded. That you're a hater. All of a sudden, you're in a storm. Why? Because you decided to walk with Jesus. Young people, listen to this. Sooner or later, you'll have to make the decision whether you're going to walk with Jesus even in the storm or you're going to stay in the boat with everybody else. And he said, when you decide not to stay in the boat with everybody else, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to get mad at you. They're going to call you names because you don't run with them with the same stuff that they're doing. They find that very uncomfortable. So they're going to take that out on you. And you've got to make a decision whether you're going to stay in the comfortable boat of being accepted by everybody or you're going to walk with Jesus. Sometimes that involves walking in the storm. Peter found out, man, I'd rather walk with Jesus through the storm. Now, the others in the boat, those guys, nothing wrong with them. But in Peter's mind, he'd rather walk with Jesus, even in the storm. And then the last thing, pray sooner rather than later and get to the point. Because watch this. Jesus knows what's really happening with you. There's no way I can know. There's no way others could know. But Jesus saw their struggles when nobody else on the planet saw what was going on with them. 
And if there's something going on in your life, in your heart, Jesus sees it right now. So why not get to the point very quickly and deal very honestly with Jesus? Peter didn't make any bones. He said, Jesus, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Lord, save me. And then he took him, and that's when he talked to him. I don't know where you are today, but if you have found yourself in this passage of Scripture and need to make some decisions, you need some, some comfort, you need some changes in your life, you need to come to Christ, there's a prayer you need to pray very quickly about what's going on in your life, this is the time and the place to do it because when you're really ready to pray to Jesus and say, Lord, save me, you'll do things that you never expected possible. Jesus walks in the unexpected places. I want you to walk with him. As we stand and sing, what number? number?